Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, and from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the tabernacle tree of Morah. And the Canaanite was there in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountains east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Lord, bring out the truth from this passage and other passages that relate to this section, God. Help us to see how it applies to our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Um, I'm going to turn to the book of Galatians, and if you want to turn with me, you're welcome to. Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to try to, to weave a thread between all of these passages and how they connect to one another from Genesis to Galatians to the book of Hebrews. So we're going to turn over to the New Testament book of Galatians, chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 5 and read down to verse 9, and you'll start to see how these passages all are interlocking and how there's really one theme in all of them. Paul, writing to the Galatian church, who was struggling over the issue of circumcision and laws that needed to be added to salvation... And Paul reminds them of the patriarch Abraham here. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you, talking about God, how God supplies the Spirit, God who works miracles among you, how does God do this? Does he do it by the works of the law? Is that how we receive the Holy Spirit? Is that how God works miracles? Is by keeping all the commandments? Or is it by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abram. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, 
in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And now let's jump over to the book of Hebrews, if you wish. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out into a place which he would receive as an inheritance, leave your kindred, I'm going to take you to a land. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country or as a stranger there, dwelling in tabernacles, in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him in the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So we can see how all of these passages are kind of weaving a theme for us, and so when I look at this passage in Genesis chapter 12, we are fortunate to have the New Testament to, to fill in all the blanks there, but when Moses recorded this some 1,400 years before Christ, the story of Abraham is preparing for us how God is going to deal with all humanity. God has a, a seed thread going through the Old Testament, and it culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. So even though the Bible is 66 books, it's really one theme and one message that's all intertwined, and it's it can be overwhelming for us to come to the Bible and try to put it all together. But it's progressively being revealed to us that God has a plan for all humanity. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see sin entering into the world through Adam. And then sin passing into all humanity through Adam's transgression. For all have sinned, and we see a glimpse of the gospel immediately. The seed of the woman is going to bruise the serpent's head. And in this passage, we see another seed that's being promised to Abraham. And in this passage, his name is still Abram, but in verse 2... We are told that all the families of the earth, verse 3, I'm sorry, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that promise is repeated to Isaac and repeated to Jacob. In Genesis chapter 22, it uses the word seed and it's translated descendants. But Paul picks up on that in the book of Galatians as well. And he says, it doesn't say seeds as in the many 
but a seed is going to come, the seed of the woman, implying a virgin birth, the seed from Abraham. Then later on in the book of Genesis, we're told that it's going to, this, this seed child that's coming to the world is going to come through the tribe of Judah. And then in 2 Samuel, it's narrowed down even more for us. So the Bible is a progressive revelation to us. And the application is, is right here for us that in Abraham, in his descendant, in his seed, all of us are going to be blessed. Our lives are going to be transformed by this one who's going to come into the world. There's also some practical illustrations here for us on how to live a life of faith. Now this passage, I believe Moses wrote it to show how God was going to use one nation and God was going to give them a strategic land for a purpose. God is electing or choosing one man to develop a nation through whom God would use as a vehicle of grace, a vehicle of blessing to all people. If we go up one verse in chapter 11, 31 through 32, we see that Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his sons Abram's wife, his son Abram's wife, and they went out from Ur of the Chaldees. So God took Abram and his family out of this thriving metropolis in Mesopotamia. It was on the lower Euphrates, and archaeologists believe that at one time, it was actually right there on the Persian Gulf and that the water has receded. So it was a port city. It was close to the Tigris River as well. And it was what is known as the cradle of civilization. So Mesopotamia was a thriving city that used bartering and maybe even coinage. It had canals. It had a vast irrigation system. It was highly developed culture with cuneiform writing and an elaborate worship system with ziggurats that were built that modeled what we saw at the Tower of Babel. And that went all over Mesoamerica, China. We're all descendants from Noah. And so that culture spread and, and permeated the earth after the changing of the languages. And so what God is showing us, gradually revealing to us, that he has a plan to restore the fall, to bring us back to what God intended. And now God is going to use one man, one family, and one nation to accomplish all of his will. And Abram's life and his call was one of a call of faith. 
And so salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Abraham was justified by faith in God's promise alone, nothing else. Chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham still didn't have a child. God appears to him and he says, Abram, go out and look at the stars. So will your seed, your descendants, so they will, so they will be. And all the nations of the world, and we're told in the book of Galatians that this promise includes Gentiles, and all Gentiles who are people of faith are spiritual descendants of Abraham. So the only way to get into the kingdom of God is through faith. That's it. There's no other plan. But we don't want to just leave it there. We enter into God's kingdom by faith, and then sometimes we start to think that I'm going to live out the Christian life some other way. I'm going to achieve what God wants through my own human effort. I'm going to somehow merit God's favor. Or we just simply go to sleep and we live in our flesh and we forget that I started this walk with God through faith alone and I've got to finish the race. I've got to finish the course by walking in faith. You see, justification by faith is not a license to sin. It's not a free ticket into heaven so I can live how I want to. It's an initiation to a new life altogether. And the same way that we enter this life by faith, that is the exact same way that we are to live out our Christian life. It's not hard for me any longer to understand the gospel. I, I've got that down. I understand that I was so unworthy. I was such a sinful person, and that God in his mercy and by trusting in Christ, and I remember that day. I remember my bedroom. I remember reading the verses in Romans that whoever calls on the name of the Lord and confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, you will be saved. And I remember that clear as a bell. I was 18 years old. But what I often forget is that's how I got into the kingdom and that's how I have to live out my Christian life. And when I come against difficulties, when I come against challenges, there's a disconnect. I know I'm saved and I know it was by faith. But there's a disconnect that I am supposed to live every single life through faith. And for some Christians, they just get it. And others, like me, I'm kind of a slow learner. And as soon as I get a difficulty, as soon as I get a bill that I don't know how I'm going to pay, as soon as I have a challenge at the church that I'm facing and I don't know how I'm going to handle it, all of a sudden I think I've got to do it somehow in my own mind, my own strength, my own intellect, my own bank account. And God says, no. You didn't start this walk with me in your own strength, your own merit, your own intellect. 
So why do you think you can finish the race any other way? When we pray for our lost ones, our family members, how are we going to see them into the kingdom of heaven other than faith alone? When you're challenged with something that you can't do in your own strength, in your own resources, how are we going to manage it without faith? And sometimes the Lord wants to take us out of our comfort places and take us into a land that he's going to show us that we can't even see. And the only way that we are going to get there is by faith alone. Hallelujah is right, Robert. Here Abraham was living in an affluent city, everything at his fingers right there before him, a, a, an affluent culture. And God tells him, I want you to leave this place because I want you to rely and trust on me alone. Now, Abram was not saved because he left Ur and traveled to Haran. He wasn't saved because he left Haran and then came down into Canaan. Abram was saved because he believed God. Full stop. But Abram also knew that I have to walk with God. I have to walk by faith. I have to live by faith. For you and I can say boldly, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But the next verse says, and herein is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith to faith. We begin with faith. We travel by faith and we end by faith. For the just shall live by their faith. So it doesn't just save us. Praise God that it does and praise God that it's only faith that saves us. Because if it was anything else, we would have absolutely no hope. I mean, you know yourself better than I do and I know myself better than you do. I'm going to use a quote that I heard yesterday by J. Vernon McGee. <laughs> J. Vernon McGee said, if you knew me, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. <laughs> but then J. Vernon McGee said, also, if I really knew you, I wouldn't want to preach to you. <laughs> it has to be faith. Faith alone. I'll give Ron Tabor the credit for that one. He borrowed it from J. Vernon, and I borrowed it from you. <laughs> but that's a, that's a great illustration. So Abram here is learning to walk by faith. And faith, it's not some mystical thing that we have to work up. There are such bad teaching, this faith movement, that if I could just lay my supernatural hands on you and zap you with something, then you'll have the faith and you'll be able to do stuff. I went to a church like that for about three years. And I never got it. And I was told that I didn't have the faith to get it. And finally, I started reading my Bible and saying, that's not what faith is. Faith is not some kind of mysterious thing that God has to just do some kind of magic over me. Faith is trusting God's word. 
Faith comes by hearing, and by hearing the Word of God. I remember when I was a college student, and I would go into these classes, and my sociology professors, my political science professors, did everything in their power to undermine my faith. And I didn't run back to my dorm room asking God to give me some kind of an emotional experience. What I did is I opened my Bible. And after about three minutes of reading my Bible, I knew my faith had an anchor that was sure and steadfast, that entered with inside the veil, and God who cannot lie, who promises by two immutable things so that you and I might have refuge when we run to him to find hope. I read this verse and I said, that is my teacher's ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That was them. And I remember putting a big old highlight circle around it. And I said, Rose Daigle, <laughs> she was my sociology professor, an atheist who did everything she could to attack Christianity. They didn't attack any other religion. So what did Abraham have here? He had a revelation from God. He had a command from God. The command had two parts. It had a call and it had a promise. And this is where walking by faith really gets practical. If I am going to claim the promises of God, I have got to follow the calling of God. I can't short-circuit that. I've got to take the call of God seriously, and I've got to walk with it. And when we do that, then we can appropriate the promises that he's given us. And that's exactly what Abram did here. And God is teaching Abram, and I think God wants to teach all of us that we need greater allegiance to him and less allegiance to the things of this world. Everything that Abram had and needed was provided for him at Ur. And now he was going to go as a stranger. And his allegiance had to be in God alone. It's wonderful in hindsight when God puts you on your face, isn't it? Not when you're going through it. It's tough and it's difficult. But when you look back, and you see how God stretched you and God grew you. The other thing that Abram had to learn here was complete reliance on God. Where was he going? He didn't know, did he? He was going to a land that God was going to show him. I remember when Tracy and I first entered divinity school. I can say seminary here because... You guys know what seminary is. It's not that school right next to the public high school. But anyway, I went in as a missions major. And I had the idea that I have got to know where I'm going before I can go to the mission field. Doesn't that make sense? Well, it did to me. And for nine years, ten years after I graduated, Tracy and I were still living in Rome, Georgia. And there was no need for missionaries in Rome, Georgia. There was a plethora of churches, 
and one day we were reading this passage of Scripture together. I will go to a land that I will... And what did Ab Abraham got up and started walking, didn't he? I remember a pastor said it's a lot easier to turn the steering wheel of a moving car than one that's just sitting. And that is true when it comes to walking by faith. And we read this verse, and I said to Tracy, I said, Tracy, is there something still that we need to do to follow God? Ten years has gone by. Had a missions major. And she said, Patrick, it's the mission field. So instead of saying, God, where do you want me to go? I started walking. And so the very next day I went into work, I had a brochure in my desk that I'd kept for about 10 years from a mission agency in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Got on the phone, I made an appointment, and we had an appointment two days later. I came home at lunch so excited. My wife wasn't so excited. She thought this was like maybe, you know, something was going to happen three or four years from now. I said, we've got an appointment with the mission board this week. We went. And the man walks into the door, and he says, I just got back from Ireland. Let me tell you all about Ireland. And I had been waiting for 10 years for God to show me, and all I had to do was start taking some steps. And Tracy and I knew when he came in that this is where God wanted us to go. That was 10 years, 14. I keep saying 10. I've been in Utah 14 now. When we came back, we didn't know where God wanted us. And another man at the mission agency came in, Dominic Ganino. Some of you know him. He's a painter. He can do anything. And he was painting all the walls in there, and he stuck his head in. He says, oh, you guys are back from Europe, and you don't know where to go? He says, I'm the general director for the mission in Utah. Why don't you come out and visit? And we came to Utah, and this is where God has sent us. This is where God has called us, and this is our home. But we would have never known those things if we didn't start taking those steps. Abraham would have never known where that land was if he hadn't left Ur and gone to Haran and then left Haran and then said, I'm going to keep moving southward. But he was learning complete reliance on God. Notice in verse 1 of verse 12, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, he had already said this, I believe in, in chapter 12, I, I can't prove it, but I believe that Abram was already a saved man. Because it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to leave. He had already heard the call. He had already in his heart said, yes. There are four major epochs in Abram, if I said that right, epochs, time periods in Abram's life. And each one of them is marked by his age. And I think Moses, as the author of this, is doing this for a purpose to see that Abraham was going through a progression in his life, a progression of faith, and this was his first step at the age of 75. And then we're told at 86, Abram makes a mistake, makes a sin, really commits a sin by not trusting God and has a child with Hagar. And then at 99, so every time that the writer of Genesis gives us these numbers, he's telling there's something significant. And so this is a beginning for Abram here. The command 
is to deepen our allegiance to Christ. That's what God wants us to do. And notice it's ever-tightening circles. It doesn't happen all at once. Look at the circles that just get tighter and tighter and tighter to where Abraham is left with nothing but God. That's where God wants to move us. He wants to take us out of one comfort zone to another one until we are nothing but him alone. So we can see, get out of your country. That's Mesopotamia. Okay, I, I can handle that. Then he says, now I want you to leave from your father's house. I, or I'm sorry, I want you to leave your family. And then it even gets tighter. He says, I want you to leave your father's house. And then the end of this command is to go to a land that I will show you. God always gives us enough information to take the next step. God is good that way, but he doesn't give us more information because he wants us depending on his direction. I don't, I don't know where we're going to go next as a church. God does. I know where we're at right now, and I know what God wants us to do right now, and we need to do those things. We need to implement those things, and we need to do them well. And when we do them well and we are obedient, then God will take us to the next step. So if you turn over to chapter 13, he actually shows him this land. Chapter 13, verse 14, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Abram, lift your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give you and your descendants forever. So I, I don't know what your opinion is on the Palestinian problem, but this is their land. This is Israel's land, full stop. It's been their land for almost 4,000 years. They are the ancestor people of this land. It's been deeded to them. But God didn't deed it to them to the restriction of the rest of the world. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible had every nation, every tongue, every kindred, every people on his heart and on his mind when he gave that land to Abram. And where did God put that land? He put it between Mesopotamia, a great empire, and another great empire, Egypt. Those two empires influenced all the known world. And he put him right in Canaan. It was called the King's Highway. You couldn't travel and you couldn't trade. Mesopotamia had trade and influence as far as India. Egypt had trade with the Roman Empire, it wasn't the Roman Empire at that time, and all of North Africa. And so God strategically puts his people where they can have the greatest influence. And he says, Abraham, I am going to bless you in order that you might be a blessing to others. That was the intention. God has given to you and I certain blessings. And this is what Jesus said when he sent out the 10, or the 12, I'm sorry. Freely you have received, now freely give. 
And that's what God was doing with Abram here. He says, you didn't deserve these gifts. You didn't deserve these promises, all these blessings. But now I want you to be a dispenser of blessings. And so God put them there, and that's the command. It was to give them a deeper allegiance with Christ, a total reliance on Christ. And then a promise is given. The blessings were mainly spiritual. They weren't material blessings. I, I mean, there were some material blessings for Abraham, sure. But you look at these blessings. These are spiritual blessings. And we'll get a deeper into that, what I mean by that. Because Abraham, we're told, he didn't have a parcel of land that he called his permanent home. He didn't even inherit the land yet. He embraced it from afar off. He wasn't even going to see his descendants grow. All these things were spiritual blessings for Abram. He didn't even have a child at 75. And then he tried to make Eliezer his slave, his heir. And God said, that's not how we're going to do it. And then he tried to go in with his wife's handmaiden, have Hagar. And he said, that's not where we're going to do it. And God had one son. These were spiritual blessings. He was looking for a city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. So walking by faith doesn't necessarily mean that I am going to have all kinds of blessings on this earth. It means that I am trusting God for what I cannot see and that, God, you are going to do eternal things. When Tracy and I left Ireland, we didn't leave with the church. There was no church when we left. It, it, it fell apart. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to see Irishmen. I'm going to see Irish women. And that is our reward. That is what God says. This is your foundation. This is the home that you are seeking. Abraham never saw any of that. And that's the way you and I need to live our life. This is not our home. This is not where the blessings come. The blessings are spiritual. The blessings of knowing that I am walking with God, that my sins are forgiven, that I have a purpose, I have meaning in life. The faith response. Notice his faith response was prompt. When God gives you clear direction through his word, we need to respond promptly. Yesterday, I was so blessed. We were having a discussion in the men's Bible study about a man named Achan, and he tried to cover up some stuff, and then God exposed it. And there was a man in the Bible study who stayed afterwards, and he said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. He says, God has exposed something to me, and I need to do it now. I need to go and get this thing right and get it settled between me and this other person. When God reveals something to you and you're walking by faith, if you don't respond immediately, you'll talk yourself out of it. <laughs> I have done it before. I start to rationalize it. And if I let too much time go, you know what? It just doesn't get done. When God tested Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, it says, Abram got up early in the morning 
and he saddled his donkey, and he went. So Abram here in chapter 12 and verse 4 says, So Abraham departed. It was a prompt obedience. So a faith response is one that is prompt when we are convinced, and it's clearly evident that God, through his word and through the Holy Spirit, is doing the prompting. The second thing, faith accepts the possibility that there may or may not be an immediate return. God, I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to worry about what happens afterwards. It might not fall out good for me. I might have a pushback of what I'm going to do or what I'm going to say. But God, by faith, I'm going to do this regardless of the results or regardless of the consequences. Let me give you the verse. By faith, he sojourned in a land of promise as being in a foreign country dwelling in tents. There was no immediate blessing for Abraham. You're going to leave Ur, you're going to leave a nice house, you're going to leave a good income, and now you want me to walk around and, and, and move my tent from place to place? Yes, that's what I want you to do. That's the faith response. It says, yeah, I'm not worried about my immediate blessings or gratification. Faith realizes that there is going to be opposition when I take this step for God. When you step out in faith, do you think there's not going to be opposition? No. When you step out in faith, that's when you meet the opposition. There's a little phrase in this passage. It says, the Canaanite dwelled in the land. They were the longtime enemies of Abram and all of his descendants. It's not going to just be easy. It's going to be tough. Faith embraces what cannot be seen as if it was a reality. Abram looked for a city which has a foundation whose builder and maker is God. Faith is satisfied with laying up eternal blessings. Abram died in faith, not having received the promise. Do you realize that? He said, my treasures are not down here. That's what faith is. He died not receiving the promise. He embraced them from afar off, and he was persuaded of them. He embraced them, and he confessed that he was a pilgrim on the earth. And when you and I say such things just as plainly as Abraham does, you know what we're telling God? We're telling God, I am looking for a city, but this is not my home, and I'm going to live by faith right now. When we step out in faith, it should be publicly demonstrated. Verse 7, what did Abraham do, or Abram? The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land and there he built an altar. Now, what was the purpose of an altar? One was, it was a public demonstration to the Canaanites that Jehovah, a covenant-making God, and I use the word Jehovah, it's not translated that way, but it's actually pronounced probably Yahweh, but the Jews would never say that, and so I don't want to say it either. So it's Jehovah. But that is the covenant name for God. Notice it was 
the Lord. And if your Bible, if it's sitting in front of you, you will notice that every one of those letters is capitalized because it's not the word Adonai, it's the word Jehovah or Yahweh. And that is the word that God uses when he enters into a covenant to demonstrate his faithfulness. And so who does Abraham build this altar to? He builds it to Yahweh, this Jehovah God who entered into a covenant. And so he's building this altar as a public demonstration of his faith. So when we step out by faith, it needs to be publicly demonstrated. Abraham built an altar to the Lord God who appeared to him. And then secondly, an altar symbolizes a substitute. Abraham had revelation up to this point, and the, 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 the revelation that he had, he was acting on it. He knew that God had slain a beast to cover Adam. He knew that the fig leaves weren't sufficient. And so what was Adam doing, Abram doing here? He was bringing a substitute for his sin. Now, I want to give us some application. We've already talked about application, but just some things that you can mentally focus on and maybe jot down if you want to, or maybe you've got a great memory, because I've got seven of them. And the first application, faith, first of all, must be based on revealed truth. How do I know that I'm saved? How do you know that you're saved? Because the Bible tells me and it tells you that he who has the Son, has life. You can know you're saved today, and you can place your faith, because the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was not left in the grave. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. So our faith must be based on revealed truth. Second, Faith is based on God's character, that God's character can be trusted. God is immutable. God is changeless. God's promises never fail. So your faith is not based on you, your wisdom, your resources. It's based on God's faithfulness. How do you know that you're going to have a meal today? How do you know that you're going to have a roof over your head? How do you know that God is never going to leave you nor forsake you? Because he has promised it. And God never changes. Deepening your walk in faith comes when we step out and give God greater allegiance. And we rely more and more on him. Abraham had to leave that, trust, or learn that. We do too. Faith is rewarded with greater revelation when we respond to what God has already shown us. We read in Genesis chapter 13 that he was to look eastward, westward, southward, northward. But if we keep on reading, God gives Abram even more revelation. And he says, I'm going to give you the land all the way from the Nile, all the way to the Euphrates. That's where I believe Jesus is going to have his kingdom in the millennial kingdom. He is going to get all of that land. There was only one time 
when Israel occupied, well, they didn't occupy it, but they were sovereign over that, and that was under the reign of King David and King Solomon, where they actually levied taxes on the Persians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and they were a mighty empire, and that was snuffed out quickly. But Abram got more and more revelation as he walked and walked with God. And then when faith has fully developed, your faith will be vindicated. It will be shown to be genuine. Now, Abram was saved way before Genesis chapter 22. But by the time he gets to Genesis chapter 22, because of God revealing new things to him and taking him deeper in his allegiance, deeper in his reliance, when he was asked to lay Isaac down, you know what he said? He says, I and the lad will go and worship and we will return. During those three days, Abraham realized that God gave me this child figuratively from the dead. I had a dead body. My wife's womb was dead. And if God can do that, God can raise this child up. Now, that takes incredible faith, but it didn't start there, did it? And so as God gives you and I more and more truth, and we respond to that truth, and we walk in faith, God grows our faith and builds our faith. Stepping out in faith requires reliance for what we cannot see. Faith is prompted by conviction, and it needs to be prompt. Faith accepts the rewards are not necessarily going to be realized immediately, and they may only be realized in eternity. So those are just a few principles that we can get from this passage today. Let's close in prayer and ask God to help us to walk and to start taking steps, practically living our Christian life. I don't know what you're facing today, what obstacle it might be, but you were saved by faith. How did God supply the Spirit to you? It was by faith. How do we see miracles performed in our life? It's by faith. If that's the way we started... That's the way we need to walk. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the life of Abram. We thank you, Lord, how you have interweaved this story throughout the Old Testament, showing a nation pointing to Jesus. We thank you that we can have our faith placed in Christ and we can walk just as Abraham walked. We can live a life of faith as you give us revelation. And so I pray today, God, that we will get into your word we will know who you are. We will know what your character is so that we can greater trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name.